Hello, and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and I am a working artist and mother to a curious toddler. My business, Balzer Designs, is all about helping you to live an artful life through thoughtful art education. On this podcast, together with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Shu Balzer, we ask questions of each other and our guests while discussing learning, the creative career path, finding balance, looking at art, setting goals, and why being creative matters. Our goal for this podcast is to stimulate your imagination. So, hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. So, we're back in the saddle again in the studio. We're here together. Um, you uh, have had a lot of construction going on at your house. It's a big art project. It is a big art project. It started out because a car drove through my porch. And then... As they opened it up, there was more and more rot under the porch. and As always happens with an old house. There right? was a fence that needed attention. And before you know it, this one project has morphed into a gigantic. It's a ball rolling ball down a hill. Encompassing thing. And I, I simply brace myself for the endless <laughs> onslaught of change orders. And what's, because it's a big porch on mm -hmm. a Victorian house, you can't sort of do part of it because. The whole porch is connected. So mm -hmm. this is my project. I'm sorry, Julie, but I have no time for you anymore because right. I have to sit there and look through my window at this. Yeah, it's a big project. And I think this happens. I mean, everybody who's renovated a house know how things snowballs and it just changes. And like, you know, you uncover one thing and suddenly everything's rotten underneath. Right. This has happened to me multiple times. Um, and I, But I think, you know, art projects are like that too, where you think you have an idea and you're going somewhere and then you suddenly realize that it's somewhere else you're supposed to be or you're in the middle of, you know, making something and things change. And so that actually brings us back to our topic today, um, which is really about keeping a sketchbook and why that's an important practice. And I think um, the biggest key, I'll give you the, uh, I'll give you the bit of advice at the beginning of the podcast today, instead of making you wait till the end. But the biggest thing I hope you take away is going to be the idea that um, if you want to get better at art, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to get better at art. Everybody wants to get better at art, right? But if you want to get better at it, directed practice is the way to do it. And a sketchbook is a wonderful, essentially free. I mean, I guess you have to pay for the sketchbook unless you make it yourself, but then you did pay for the paper. But you know what I mean? It's essentially a way for you to make yourself get better in a focused way. So I thought we could talk a little bit about directed practice and sort of what that means, as opposed to sort of, I think when people start talking about sketchbooks, the first thing they start um, talking about is drawing and drawing can be a thing that pushes people away and makes them sort of uninterested in pursuing it. So. Well, because they start comparing what they're drawing mm -hmm. to a photograph or Michelangelo. Right. What I would say is, it, since I don't keep a sketchbook, mm -hmm. but one thing I might compare it to compare it to is recipes, cooking, mm -hmm. and some recipes have a lot of technique involved as well as a lot of equipment, and so. The first time you try it, it might not come out like the picture. It might not come out the way you expected it. And again, people take notes. They write notes in the margins of the cookbook or the mm -hmm. recipe. They alter things to suit their taste. And I think that's a sort of same idea, mm -hmm. which is you should get more comfortable and 
make it work for you personally, the more you mm -hmm. do it. And if you keep the notes, then you won't keep repeating the same mistakes. Yeah, I think that a sketchbook can be many things. I mean, let's get that started right there, right? There's the kind of sketchbook that's like a visual diary. There's the kind of sketchbook that's, you know, um, preparing uh, for a project. There's the kind of sketchbook that's like practicing a particular skill. There are a lot of different kinds of sketchbooks. I think what I'm mainly interested in pursuing right now is something that I call a studio notebook, which I just think okay. is an easier way of thinking of a sketchbook because then you're not focused on the idea that it's like drawing after drawing after Michelangelo after drawing drawing. But there's more of an acknowledgement that it is what what do you do in a notebook? You write things down, you might have lists, there could be a calendar, there's, you know, to do's, there's um, sort of like random thoughts as notebook can uh, also be something that's ugly, and maybe has lined paper or something like that. So it doesn't have to be this kind of pristine angels, oh, the sketchbook. And I think all of it gets harmed a million times by seeing on social media, people talking about like, um, you know, oh, I hate all these ugly pages in my sketchbook when I wasn't very good. And then you're looking at these gorgeous, you know, luminous drawing page after page of stuff. And you just think, well, what? Um, which I think is a reminder to get back to the house renovation of like when people show their houses their whole house doesn't look like that. That's one corner that they cleaned out for you to look at for five seconds with really good lighting. Do you know what I mean? Or any of that stuff. You know, people's real lives aren't like constantly filled with uh, all the perfect moments you see where like, like for instance, I don't ever post anything where my toddler is like having a tantrum or a meltdown or anything like that because I don't think that kind of stuff should be on social media. But does he? Yeah, he's a toddler. But if you saw the pictures, you'd think that all he did was like play all day and be pleasant. No, you know, and I think like that's the thing about art too. We generally don't show the things that we really hate because mm, that's really hard to do. Most people just don't want to if you really, really hate it, right? Sometimes I think about what if if there had been social media around when mm -hmm. I had little kids, what I would have posted about you. What would you have posted about us? That we were perfect all the time, angels? Well, that would have left me with nothing. <laughs> but well, I just think it's interesting because from birth, these kids today are used to being photographed. Mm -hmm. And they they just have a different idea, I think, of their childhood. They have a lot mm -hmm. more pictures to look at and a lot of video mm -hmm. to look at. Well, you and I even discussed generationally between us, you know, and I'm on the cusp of uh, a lot of the technology stuff, but there, uh, you have an expectation of privacy in your life. And I yes. kind of, am like, yeah, I mean, I have some expectation of privacy, but not a ton. And I think one generation away from me, they're like, what's privacy? Right. You, you know? And I think that that, that's how you grow up. I remember reading a, um, an interview with Anne Hathaway, uh, who I think is similarly aged, to me. She may be slightly younger. Um, but she said that she was so glad that she had gone to college in the years before there were social media because she could do all the dumb things she wanted. And, you know, people have to break out the film uh, and, 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 you know, develop it in a dark room in order for any of it to come to light. And I think that's true. You know, there's a lot of ways in which you can't hide. So to bring it back briefly to an art conversation, you know, one, there was a person that I interviewed on this podcast and one, a stranger who I just approached on the internet and said, Hey, do you want to yeah. do an interview? And 
one of the things that she said to me, she said, I researched you. I went back all the way through every single one of your Instagram posts back to the very first one that you posted. Now, to be completely fair, I'm pretty sure I joined Instagram in like 2011. So it is 2022. So that's a decade she has too much spare time. Well, I was like, that's a, that's a commitment. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you really do see then where somebody came from. And like, I, unlike a celebrity, I don't like scrub my social media and stuff. Cause I think my very first post was of my ex-husband and I just, I've never taken down any of those posts because they're so buried. How would anybody, why would anybody, but apparently. Well, even if they, they did, did, I mean, it's true. It's not like it's not part of my history. And I think that's another thing too, is remembering that people erase things they don't like from their past. In fact, you sent me an article today, didn't you, about how now you're going to be able to untext people? The new Apple software that'll be available starting mm-hmm. Monday will allow you, but you can't erase your text forever. But if you immediately doubt it, like there's you a pressed little time it lag, you, like can. you can get rid of it. So you can untext. I think I think that Gmail has a thing like that where you can like if you hit send, but then you had you know did something wrong, you can sort of immediately unsend it. I I just think that um, one of the things you're right about this expectation of privacy mm-hmm. also means that I'm very thoughtful. One might say guarded about anything I put on. Yes like Instagram and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's pri- my thing is private on yes. purpose. I can't remember the last time I posted anything on Instagram. Yeah. I just, and feel- I would say like, I'm more careful now than I would have been. Like if I'd had a kid 10 years ago, I don't think I'd be as careful as I am now about it. You know, I think that we've learned a lot of the ways in which the internet is great and a lot of ways in which it's bad. But I do want to say like what I think a sketchbook is or should be in my mind is it's it's kind of like that social media history, but without any edits. So you're able to look back 10 years and say like, oh, this is where I was. These are the thoughts that I was having. But you're at using the time. it for you. Yeah, I'm using it for me. I mean, you know, I taught a sketchbook class maybe two years ago. And one of the questions that I thought was really interesting that someone asked me is she said, um, I never see any pictures of your sketchbook. Like, why don't you ever share that? Like, how can, how is this a thing that you do since I've never seen any of it? And I was like, hey, it's really interesting that you think I share everything that I do online because I don't. Or that you uh, should. Or that you sh- I should. But B, like, yeah, that's a very good point. Like, I don't share my sketchbooks very often. I especially don't share the note parts of them. Sometimes I'll share the pictures if I think they're interesting or worth it. Um, because I think that that's private. Like that's your brain. That's what you're thinking of right now. That's your moment. I've had this idea to do the sketchbook class for a while, which I've never put together partially because I'm not sure how I feel about like dragging out the old books. Cause they feel, they feel very much like me, like a very personal version of me. It feels very much like let's all read my diary. Yeah. Just because it's some of it is pictures doesn't mean it's not your diary. Yeah, because it's like my thought process. And I do I do like the idea of going back because, listen, we're all guilty of this. There's an idea that seems terrible at the time or a drawing that's ugly or a pink color that you can't stand. And then three years later or three months later, you look at it and you go, oh, right? And so the thing is, if you're working on like loose papers that you throw away or, you know, you're gessoing over everything to cover it up as you're working, like you're not um, ever keeping that record 
of where you've been. And I do think, so I'm working on a new class right now, which is kind of a sketchbook class, I guess. It's called the Carve December Workbook. And one of the videos I was making this afternoon, I was talking a little bit about this idea of when you're doing your test prints and stuff, when you're stamping, I used to have them on these pieces of paper and I would sort of try to keep them, but then they were just kind of like test prints and I would get rid of them. And sometimes I liked the stamp earlier in the carve and I carved too much and I messed it up and I would just kind of make a mental note, which we know where the mental notes go into the garbage. Um, I actually heard an interview with Jay-Z on Fresh Air and he was saying that one of the things is, uh, he said, do you know how many rap songs I've lost by thinking that I just had them in my brain and not, you know, writing them down? And I was like, that's it. That's, that's the thing, which is if you have this brilliant moment, right? It happens to all of us when you're in the shower, laying in bed or a place where there isn't a pen. You know how it feels when you can't remember it later and you're driving yourself crazy because it was the best idea you ever had. So that's to me, again, what a sketchbook's for. Write that idea down. And even if you don't use it now, you might use it later. So even if you don't use that drawing now, you might use it later. But to get back to the carving, like the way that I find it really useful is I can come back to the design at the point that I liked it and recarve, not based on my feeling of what it was, but by actually feeling what it feeling what it was or trying to figure out like why I liked it or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, which sort of gets us in back again to the idea of directed practice and what that means. So I'll just ask you, you're the smartest person I know. What is that's sad. Okay, you're the smartest person I know in real life in person. I mean, I don't think you're the smartest person on the planet, but she's pretty smart. Uh, so what does directed practice mean to you? Let's go back to the recipe thing. Mm -hmm. It means getting some something, an idea that in your brain that you want to try, but it means not feeling like that the directions in the recipe own you, mm -hmm. and and working around something so that it it expresses what you want. And the same thing goes with clothing. If you are always dressing according to like what is the latest fashion too bad for you mm -hmm. if you don't have that kind of model's body and that kind of uh spendable money and mm -hmm. you know the whole thing i i just think you all of your life you're faced with making your own choices and the the directed practice is a way of living where you Take in lots of input, but you make selections and you get rid of the things that don't work for you, don't interest you, you know, don't appeal to you. Mm -hmm. And so you steal some ideas from people, you reject some things from people, and you don't let other people tell you what's right for you. You know, mm -hmm. you, you let people tell you, oh, that doesn't look like a horse that you drew. Well, Maybe to you, it feels like you you got the essence of horsiness. Although I did show you my drawing today and tell you it was an orchid and you said it looked like an iris. And then I read the caption and realized it was an iris. So yeah, that's a whole, that other, seems like problem. A whole other issue. <laughs> that is an entirely different issue. problem. Okay. So I'm going to use a metaphor here, which is if I said to you tomorrow, I am going to um, do athletics. Yeah. You'd be like, okay. Right. I, I don't know what that means, but okay. But if I said to myself, hey, tomorrow I'm going to go for a run, you'd be more like, okay, well, I know what kind of tools and stuff you need for that. But if I said And you'll to be you, back in five minutes. Yeah. And if I said to you- You need me to pick you up at the end of <laughs> the The answer run? is yes. 
in the front of the driveway. Uh, so if I said to you in six months, I'm going to run a marathon. So I need to start training tomorrow. I would accept that. Right. But, the, but all of those things, what you see is like athletics is too broad. That's like saying, I'm going to make art tomorrow. Right. So you make a smaller plan. I'm going to go for a run. Okay. Well, even you were joking, but it is like, well, how long is that run? Where are you going to run? Do you, you know what I mean? But if I tell you I'm training for a marathon in six months, that's specific. That's directed. Right. So now I know for the next six months, I know what I'm practicing for which is the event is a marathon. I have to teach myself to run 26 miles. And then I also know that like there are prescribed formulas, like your recipe metaphor for how to train yourself to run. Exactly. You, know? you do this, you do this. I know I can look up equipment. I can look up those things. It's, it's directed instead of just sort of a general idea. It's kind of like, do you make your resolution? I'm going to get healthy. What does that mean? Or do you say like you set yourself a goal? So in art, I think it's the same way. And that's what your studio notebook or your sketchbook is so great for is you say like, I'm going to paint 10 paintings, a series of 10 paintings, you know, over the next four months. Well, what are they going to be about? What, what is the content going to be? What are the, how are they linked in a series? What's the series going to be? That's when you go to the notebook. So you're not working it out across 10 expensive canvases or all of this time and energy and crying into it. You're working out in the pages of an inexpensive notebook. Well, here's what I'm interested in. And here's how I think it should be. And this is what I think it should look yeah. like. And, you know, you're kind of figuring out what are my techniques? What are my materials? You're practicing, you're warming up, you're getting your muscles stretched. You're doing the metaphorical art exercises that you would do to get ready for the marathon, which is finally to get ready to paint those 10 paintings. I mean, I think it's like, I have a, I've told the story before and I'll tell it again. I have a friend who's a playwright and her husband always brags that she can write a play in six days. And she says, you're a moron. I don't write a play in six days. The physical writing time, maybe that I sit down and go, but she said, I've been thinking and planning and working it out for a year. And then I sit down and go, you know, and I think writers have notebooks. Why don't artists have notebooks too, right? If you think about, about it like that, which is you're getting ready to do your marathon, to write the thing, to do the thing. Do you know what I mean? And so you're doing the exercises, the calisthenics, the race training to get you there. That's what I think. Direct I practices. just sent you a text today, yeah. which you probably still haven't read. Uh, so there's a new book that was just published by a woman. Mm -hmm. It's a mystery, a murder mystery. And in it, she imagines that the detective in it is uh, an artist, mm -hmm. Georgia O'Keeffe. She's very mm -hmm. specific because she has knowledge of Georgia O'Keeffe and New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And she feels that an artist would look at the situation differently. Uh, but what I was interested in and which is relevant here is that she keeps all kinds of files. Like she has one whole file that's all crime stuff. So that's, that's in a way she's keeping notes mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. things that she might or might not use, but that way she doesn't have to remember them and she has a place to go. And, and I think probably people do this about everything. So everything in life is kind of like writing a research thesis, really, because you keep notes. You keep notes about, mm -hmm. I, I used to keep really, this is dumb, but mm -hmm. when I was very young and I started to cook for dinner parties, mm -hmm. I used to keep these note cards. I still have them somewhere. Mm -hmm. When I die, you'll find them. And I would keep the note cards and on it, I would put, what I had made and who was there 
you know, so that you wouldn't repeat a meal with well, exactly because imagine that with the most God, a second spaghetti. No, mm -hmm. um, but the but the thing is that this is what happens when you uh, tell a woman with a Harvard education to spend her days cooking. Bad, right? Yes, uh, but I mean, you keep. I have mm -hmm. uh, a huge notebook where I put like in the days when people had business cards. Mm -hmm restaurants i liked mm -hmm. or you know okay so it doesn't sound weird because you know what i have in my bullet journal when i uh -oh. used to travel all the time yeah. is for cities that i repeatedly went to like cleveland tampa i wrote down restaurants i liked and what i liked about them so that the next time i was looking for a place to eat i didn't have to remember what it was i had had three months ago or where i had gone i could just look in the list so or i keep crazy. like lists of contractors yeah. and what they do so that i could you know mm -hmm. oh i need a plumber yeah. oh i need tiles i i have some place mm -hmm. to start i mean i think that's life if you're if you are a person who doesn't want to hunt around and do things mm -hmm. make the same mistakes over and over it's very useful to keep notes and that's directed yeah that's exactly it if you don't want to keep making the same mistakes over and over, do directed practice. I mean, I think I can't emphasize that enough. You hit it so succinctly and so perfectly. And that's what a sketchbook does is it lets you learn from your mistakes. It lets you see where the problems are. It lets you grow right. because as I say over and over, if you can identify the mistake or the problem, the opportunity, why you don't like it, why it's a problem, then you can fix it. Right. And so sometimes I find I don't have perspective right? Time has become the biggest partner in my art making process. Um, as I've gotten older, I've learned and as you important. had a child. Yeah. But I've learned also like how important it is to let time pass in order to digest things, you know? And so I can look at an old notebook and suddenly be excited with new ideas. And it's different from looking at Pinterest, which is exciting and is fun because instead of being inspired by other people's ideas, I'm inspired by my own ideas. And I love that, like letting time get in the mix of it, you know, is great. Like I actually had a funny, um, conversation with Jamie from the crafters workshop. She asked me if I wanted to design some layered stencils, which is something I had done in my, my like first or second release. And she said it was too early. Like people didn't get them then, but now everybody's making layered stencils. And I was like, that's so funny. Cause I actually have no interest in doing layered stencils. Now it was something I was very interested in then. And everybody was like, what is this? You know? And I just think that's that like if I were a smarter business person, it would make sense to revisit that idea. It would. But you know, I think your passions are what your passions are. So who knows? I'll try. I'm gonna try to do some layered stencils, we'll see. Uh but again, like that comes back to maybe you'll do it in a different way than, than you I did, did the first time originally. Around. And yeah. that will keep it fresh and interesting. Mm -hmm. Because what I know about you is you're you love solving problems. I do. So you're posing to yourself a problem. How can I do these layered stencils in a way that's new and exciting to me? And I think yes. because of that challenge, you mm -hmm. will rise to it. I hope so. I think that uh, I don't want to do layer stencils like other people are doing them. And I don't want to do them totally. like I did them. So that, that makes it an interesting problem to solve. And speaking of problems to solve, so my son is two. Here's, here's a yeah. problem first. I look so small on this well, screen. Well, your chair is shorter is one. And two, I mean, I am shorter, smaller. but I do look like... I mean, it's perspective. I'm on a different scale as a like human to, being. I'm just saying. Get closer to the camera. I'm looking at the screen and Here, I'm thinking. Get closer to I'm like also much closer to the table. Now do we look more Better, like the but same? still. Okay. <laughs> Brobdingnagian versus Lilliputian. That's it. 
so I was, can't even remember what I was going to say. It's probably not that important. You were talking about your two-year-old. I mean, oh, forget oh, your yeah, child. Yeah. It's my two-year-old. Okay, I understand. My two-year-old, my almost three-year-old, I guess. He um, was, he's been talking a lot about clues. Like he likes to follow clues and it could be a clue, right? Like the other day we saw some tracks on the sidewalk and I said, oh, a vehicle made these. And he said, vehicle shouldn't be on the sidewalk. And I said, that's true. So, right. And he said, let's follow them and see where they go. I said, okay. And then he said, maybe it's a clue. And we sort of, the conversation petered out when he couldn't say a clue for what. But anyway, he I think in the end, he wanted to see the vehicle that had been on the sidewalk. Uh, but so I think- That makes sense. It does. It's like why you follow animal tracks. Right, you're interested yeah. in seeing it. And if it was a vehicle, he wants to follow it. Uh, so I think that a sketchbook is sort of that. It's clues. It's like tracks that you leave for yourself, breadcrumbs that you leave for yourself so that you're not starting over. There's a teacher who told me something that has stayed with me for a couple of years, which is she said, before she leaves the studio every day, she leaves herself a note about yeah. exactly what she's thinking, like right at this moment. And then the first thing she does when she comes into the studio the next day is she reads the note from the night before. A lot of mine would just say hungry. <laughs> well, and it might be a repeat in the morning, but I think what that does for her, she was expressing is it allows her to like pick up where she left off because then she doesn't have to noodle it over or think about it when she goes with her family and does whatever, right? Because that time is free because she knows that her brain has been left in the studio ready to go. And she can just look at it and be like, oh, I wanted to do blah, 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 blah. I was thinking about why X doesn't work or I need to change the paint water or you know what I mean? That will work for some and for other people who need to be in the zone and working for like five hours in a row, it might not work. Yeah. But I mean, but it's an idea again about yeah. leaving yourself a clue. It's kind of like you're saying about writing in the margin of the recipe or for Harry Potter fans, you know, when he finds uh, the half blood princes, I'm probably getting this wrong. Anyway, he finds the recipe book for the um, spells and it has the writing in the margins that fixes all the spells. And so suddenly he's amazing at spells because he's using, right, somebody's handwritten notes in the margin to help him because they've already figured it out. And I think like that's sort of the idea here, which is you're leaving yourself that note in the margin. You're leaving yourself some kind of clue. So even when people give handouts or anything, like I take copious notes, which to me are my notes in the margin. So even if I have like uh, a finished product or a finished something, then I want to write about it. So even with like sketches that I do in my sketchbook, I'll often write a lot about the process I used or why I liked it because I will remember tomorrow or maybe two weeks from now, but I won't two years from now and I won't 10 years from now. And I want these books to be useful to me. Okay. So one of the reasons I've switched over from using <clears throat> an art journal to a sketchbook, because people often say like, what's the difference? And I think sometimes there's not a huge difference for a lot. For me, there is. For me, my art journal was always a place to like play and explore, yes, but everything I wrote about was just diary entries. Okay. I never like, and it wasn't really directed practice. It was like practice and it was fun and I learned a lot and I think art journals are fantastic and I still do mine occasionally, but I have found since I started a really regular sketchbook practice that the sketchbook is such good, um, a space for learning that I just can't give it up right now. I just get so much back from those notes in the margin. You don't yeah. have to. I don't have to give it up. So there. 
Um, so yeah, I really am a huge fan of it. So if you wanted to start a directed practice, how would you start it? What a good question. Thanks for asking, mom. Uh, so if you wanted to start it, what I would say is think about a goal you have. Let's go back to the marathon metaphor. Whatever that goal is, I want to understand. By the way, we are the two least likely people to run a marathon. It's true. I want to, you know, understand the color wheel or I want to, you know, and then it's the old joke about eating an elephant bite, 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 break it down. What are the steps you're going to have to take? This is something I do with my coaching clients all the time and you're getting it for free, which is we talk about what their goal is and then we back it down. Well, if you want to do this by January 1st, then how do we figure out, you know, you know, how we're going to do it? And then do you, are you aware that this means you're going to have to create a piece, two pieces of art every day from now until then? And then most people are like, oh, I didn't realize that. I was like, okay, well then let's set a different goal. Or let's like change the time. I was just saying of construction because my house is yeah. apparently a morass of, of, of mm -hmm. construction. That's the whole thing. I mean, you have to get a yeah. permit, but before that, you have to get an architect to drop a design, you know? I mean, and then you do the steps and how mm -hmm. long is it going to take for this to get delivered? It's going to take twice as long as you thought. Yeah. <laughs> and how much is going to cost? It's going to take four times as much as you thought. I mean, right. everything requires a certain degree of mental organization for you to do it. Well, it's also like if I told you for your construction budget, you need to have some wiggle room, a contingency fund because stuff happens, right? Don't right. plan it out to the dollar. Like understand that. Everybody would be like, duh, contingency fund. But if I tell you about your art goal, you have to have some sort of contingency fund. And usually that's a fund of time yeah, in which you're not so full throttle that if you get sick, if your child gets sick, if your parent gets sick, if your partner gets sick, if your house burns down, if you get busy at work, if you know, you, whatever happens that you suddenly, your project's completely derailed yeah. and there's no way to rescue it. So it's like, how can you build in those pockets of what is actually able? Like, um, one of the things I will say to the coaching clients, sometimes I'll say like, realistically, this is not mm -hmm. a, I'm here to impress you. I think a personal trainer would say the same thing, right? Uh-huh. How many, how many days a week are you going to do this? And for how long are you going to do it? If you say to me, I only want to do this twice a week and I'm going to spend an hour on it, that's fine. I can work with that. But if you tell me you're going to do five days a week, six hours a day, we will make a plan based on that. And then when you don't do it, it will completely fall off the rails and you'll feel like a failure when actually you just need to be realistic with yourself about how much time you're willing right. to give to it. You know, and I think a lot of us want to feel like I'm all in this because, you know, we're in this sort of immersion culture in which I think uh, the most popular like social media feeds are ones that are solely dedicated to a single idea for endless hours. Right. Partially because I think we admire people's tenacity and sticking to it. Um, well, also, I know what I'm going to get. If yes. I want to see eyebrows, I'll go to the eyebrows. The eyebrow lady. Exactly. Yes. Um, I have two eyebrows in case you're wondering. Oh, you also have good, plan. good job. Good job. Uh, so I think that you just have to remember that you can just do something for a little bit. You can just do something for a little bit. I do think that a regular art practice is more important than a freak, than like a bingy art practice. So if you were like, I'm going to spend two hours every week, one hour on Mondays and one hour on Thursdays, and I'm going to do this art practice, I would say bravo. If you're like, I'm just going to do it whenever and I have some time, I'm going to be like, well, that's where we get into a little bit of a problem. 
right? It's even if you do six hours one day and then no hours for two weeks, it's sort of not as good as having the regular practice, right? You want that sinus rhythm of your heart, but in your heart practice. Well, actually, they say that the reinforcement that you get from doing it regularly helps you learn. And also just the fact that you keep showing up. I think that showing up is a really difficult thing to do for all of us in many aspects of our lives. And so I do, I do think that just the showing up is such the key. I mean, every time I've gone to a yoga class with a like grumpy face and a slouchy, you know, back, and then I finish the yoga class and I'm like, I am a temple of amazing glory, right? So I think the same is true. You just have to get your butt in there, you know what I mean, and do it. And then so that the time isn't wasted, think about it in the yoga class, if you're there and the person's like, okay, just do whatever your body feels like. And I'm going to sit here and you're going to sit there and I'll see you later. Like I would nap on the floor, right? I'm probably not getting any better at anything. I mean, maybe I'm chilling out and relaxing and that's great. So the same thing is true when you come in for your hour of practice to do in your sketchbook or in your art space, which is what's your goal? What are the, you know, just in yoga class where you hold different positions, what are the exercises you're going to do? What are the things you're working towards? In yoga, am I working towards being able to balance on my, I'm better balanced on one side than the other. Most people are. So am I, am I, you know, learning to balance better you know, on my non-dominant foot. And that's my goal. So I hold those poses longer and I really think about it and I really, you know, push, push, push. And I, I make that a goal that I'm chasing. And the same thing can be true in your art practice. What is that thing that you want to get better at? And you just keep chasing it small or big, right? Until you get there and figuring out the ways that you can do it. So maybe I'm, while I'm brushing my teeth, I stand on that non-dominant foot. Oh, that is one of the things that's recommended. Right. Just to slowly sort of get it in. And it's not really a change. So maybe if you're trying to get better at like colors, maybe like the last thing you do before you fall asleep is you think about like, you know, colors that are interesting to you today and what you might, what are some combinations you might think of so that it's just there as part of your daily life, but at times that you're not actively in the practice. And then you go to your notebook And you write some of this down. And I think that's part of what helps us get apropos of nothing and just totally random. Mm -hmm. I've often wondered when they say last thing before you go to sleep, how you know it's just before you're going to go to sleep. Well, for me, it's because the lights are out and I'm lying there. That's the clue. I don't know. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? I I know. I know. I, know I could be just in the bed, saying. but I could be there for three hours. So do I wait until the three hours? Well, maybe it would help you. So he, this is actually, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes when I have trouble sleeping, when I have insomnia, the thing that actually helps me is to do some directed practice in my brain. Okay. And I have found that when I think about like, what is the art project that I want to do next, or I'm trying to work out the technical, whatever of some sort of art project, or I start thinking through a list of supplies that, Uh you know, for whatever, Uh I fall asleep pretty quickly. And it almost always kicks me. I know not everybody's the same way, but it's somehow, I think because art, making art is a pleasure thing for me and is not necessarily the business of art, which to be completely frank is what I spend 79% of my day doing is the business of art, not actually the making of the art. Um, And so I think because the making of the art is the pleasure center for me, it's like, it puts me in a good brain space to fall asleep. It also may call on a different part of your brain. Yeah. So that, you know, the non-analytical, the, the, uh, right brain part, whatever you want to call it. And so 
you're ready to sleep because you aren't doing the very specific, you know, you're not running the statistics. Yeah. And it's de-stressing to me because I think like I worry about my business and I worry about the choices I'm making and I worry about if I've gotten everything done and I worry and I worry and I worry and I worry, but I'm not worried about making art. You know, I just want to do it. So I think that that's relaxing. Okay, so we're probably at a good point to wrap up unless you have any other thoughts or advice for people. I have no thoughts. <laughs> That's a lie. I'm a blank slate. If I ever heard a lie, that would be one. I'm an empty vessel. Fill me. Okay, so a couple things to know about. Uh, monthly membership is here. Obviously, there are three different tiers. You can be a member, a maker, or a super learner. There's all sorts of exciting perks at every level. Um, the Artful Holiday class uh, is still available to purchase if you want. It's packed with tons and tons and tons and tons and tons tons of techniques. I kept lamenting to mom, I should probably should have made it a year long class. It's got just too much content. I in also it. think people got deceived by the artful holiday and they mm-hmm. thought they would be making Christmas decorations or something. Yes. And which is, it's a technique class, mm-hmm. not a project class. Well, it is sense. a project class, but it's not all making like tampon fairies and stuff. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, you know. Uh, and then Design Bootcamp is coming up in 2023. There are only two spots left in the um, daytime one, and the nighttime class has some more space. So if you're interested in, um, well, if you're interested in getting better, which is what we've been talking about today, right? Because Design Bootcamp is an opportunity to grow. If you're not getting the results you want, if you want to refine your personal style, if you don't know how to tell when your work is done, if you struggle with decision making during the art process, if you're looking for an art mentor, if you're seeking camaraderie from other artists, if you want to understand the structure of artwork, the secret language of artists, any of that, if you're ready to work really, really hard, then Design Bootcamp is for you. And I'll say that the second round of Design Bootcamp, uh, or the second level, I guess, of Design Bootcamp is also starting up in two weeks for people who've been through bootcamp level one. And in that one, we really do focus a lot more on a sketchbook practice and that kind of stuff. But I would say um, the feedback I always get from people on this class is that it's life changing. It completely and totally obliterates any idea that you had before uh, about what an art practice is as well. And that it just allows you to make the art that you want. And don't we all want that? Okay, so uh, you can't find mom anywhere online because privacy, as we discussed before, but you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. Uh, if you'd like to take a class with me or sign up for private coaching, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review, mention us on social media, tell your next door neighbor, whatever it is. All of those things help other people find the show. If you're watching this video on YouTube, I hope you'll give us a thumbs up and subscribe. And thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.